Volume Three, Chapter Eight of the Widow Barnaby by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Agnes appears likely to profit by the change of aunts. The first waking under the consciousness of new and not yet familiar happiness is perhaps one of the most delightful sensations of which we are susceptible agnes had closed her eyes late and it was late when she opened them for peggy had already drawn her window-curtains and the gay hangings and large looking-glasses of the apartment met her eyes at the first glance with such brilliant effect that she fancied for an instant she must still be dreaming but by degrees all the delightful truth returned upon her mind where was the blank cold isolation of the heart with which her days were used to rise and set where were the terrors amidst which she lived lest her protectress should expose herself by some monstrous new absurdity where was the hopeless future before which she had so often wept and trembled was it possible that she was the same agnes willoughby who had awoke with such an aching heart but four-and-twenty hours ago all these questions were asked and gaily answered before she had resolution to spring from her bed and change her delightful speculations for a more delightful reality notwithstanding the various fatigues of the preceding day miss compton was not only in the drawing-room but her letter to lady elizabeth norris was already written on the third side of a sheet of letter-paper thus giving agnes an opportunity of explaining everything before her own lines should meet her ladyship's eye the meal which had been slandered as lazy lounging and most unsocial was far otherwise on the present occasion the aunt and niece sat down together each regaling the eyes of the other with a countenance speaking the most heartfelt happiness and while the old lady indulged herself with sketching plans for the future the young one listened as if her voice were that of fate declaring that she should never taste of sorrow more the carriage will be here at twelve agnes said miss compton to take us into what our books tell us is called the city as if it were the city of cities and about which i suppose you and i are equally ignorant seeing that you never did take that pleasant little walk the dowager mrs barnaby so considerately sketched out for you so now we shall look at it together but don't fancy my dear that any such idle project as looking at its wonders is what takes me there now i have got a broker agnes as well as the widow and it is quite as necessary to my proceedings as to hers that i should see him but we must not go till our partnership letter is ready for the post here is my share of it agnes read it to me and if it meets your approbation sit down and let your own precede it the lines written by miss compton were as follows madam permit a stranger closely connected by the ties of blood to agnes willoughby to return her grateful thanks for kindness extended to her at a moment when she greatly needed it that she should so have needed it will ever be a cause of self-reproach to me nor will it avail me much either in my own opinion or in that of others that the same qualities in our common kinswoman mrs barnaby which produced the distress of agnes produced in me the aversion which kept me too distant to perceive their effects on her respectability and happiness i am madam your grateful and obedient servant elizabeth compton agnes wrote my kind and generous friends lady elizabeth lady stephenson i write to you as i never dared hope to do from under the eye and the protection of my dear aunt compton it is to her i owe all the education i ever received and i might add all the happiness too for i have never known any happy home but that which her liberal kindness procured for me during five years spent in the family of my beloved instructress mrs wilmot 
for the seven months that have elapsed since i quitted mrs wilmot my situation as you my kind friends know but too well has been one of very doubtful respectability but very certain misery my aunt compton blames herself for this but you if i should ever be so happy as to make you know my aunt compton will blame me her former kindness ought to have given me courage to address her before even though circumstances had placed me so entirely in the hands of mrs barnaby as to make the separation between us fearfully wide but thank god all this unhappiness is now over i did apply to her at last and the result has been the converting me from a very hopeless friendless and miserable girl as i was when you first saw me into one of the very happiest persons in the whole world i have passed through some scenes from the remembrance of which i shall always shrink with pain but there have been others there have been points in my little history which have left an impression a thousand times deeper and dearer too than ever could have been produced on any heart unsoftened by calamity and must it not ever be accounted among my best sources of happiness that the regard which can never cease to be the most precious as well as the proudest boast of my life was expressed under circumstances which to most persons would have appeared so strongly against me my generous friends may i hope that the affection shown to me in sorrow will not be withdrawn now that sorrow is past may i hope that we shall meet again and that i may have the great happiness of making my dear aunt known to you she is all kindness and would take me to cheltenham that i might thank you in person for the aid so generously offered in my hour of need what i fear poor mrs barnaby's adventures will for some time be too freshly remembered there for me to wish to revisit it when agnes had written thus far she stopped where shall i tell them aunt betsy that we are going to remain she said if if colonel hubert and she stopped again if colonel hubert and what then agnes why if colonel hubert were to pay us a visit aunt betsy i cannot help thinking he would understand me better now than when i was so dreadfully overpowered by the feeling of my desolate condition don't you think so i think it very probable he might my dear and as to your sensible question agnes of where we are going to be i think you must decide it yourself we have both declared against cheltenham and for reasons good where then should you best like to go to clifton aunt betsy it was there i saw him first and there too i was most kindly treated by friends who i believe pitied me because because i did not seem happy i suppose oh i would rather go to clifton than any place in the world excepting empton and to empton we cannot go just at present agnes it would be too much like running out of the world again which i have no wish at all to do to clifton therefore we will go dear child and so you may tell your good friends agnes gave no other answer than walking round the table and imprinting a kiss upon the forehead of her happy aunt then resuming her writing she thus concluded her letter my aunt compton as soon as she has concluded some business which she has to settle in london will go to clifton where i believe we shall stay for some months and should any of your family happen again to be there i may perhaps be happy enough to see them with gratitude to all i remain ever your attached and devoted agnes willoughby poor agnes she was terribly dissatisfied with her letter when she had written it not all her generalizations could suffice to tell him the him the only mortal him she remembered in the world not all her innocent little devices to make it understood that he was included in all her gratitude and love as well as in her invitation to clifton made it at all clear that she wanted colonel hubert to come and offer to her again yet what could she say more she sat with her eye fixed on the paper 
and a face full of meaning though what that meaning was it might not be very easy to decide what is my girl thinking of said miss compton i am thinking replied agnes and she shook her head i am thinking that colonel hubert will never understand from this letter aunt betsy how very much i want to see him again that is very true my dear is there anything else i could say to make him know how greatly he mistook me when he fancied i said no from my want of love oh yes my dear certainly tell me then my dear dear aunt i feel as if i had no power to find a word tell me what i shall say to him you may say many things for instance you may say tell my beloved colonel hubert oh aunt betsy aunt betsy you are laughing at me cried agnes looking at her very gravely and with an air of melancholy reproach so i am my dear an old spinster of three score is but a poor confidant in matters of this sort but if you seriously ask for my advice i will give it such as it is let our letter go just as it is without any addition or alteration whatever if colonel hubert sees this letter as you seem to expect and if he loves you as you deserve to be loved he will find food enough for hope therein to carry him further than from one end of gloucestershire to the other if he does not see it but what you will in it he would learn nothing thereby but if seeing it he determines to sit quietly down under your refusal then let him i for one should feel no wish to become better acquainted with the gentleman agnes said no more but folded the letter and directed it to lady elizabeth norris cheltenham now aunt i have folded up colonel hubert and put him out of sight till he shall choose to bring himself forward again i will tease you no more about him shall i put my bonnet on the carriage has been waiting for some time my darling agnes said the old lady looking fondly at her how little i deserve to find you so exactly what i wished you should be you are right we will talk no more of this colonel hubert till he has himself declared what part he means to play in the drama before us we shall be at no loss for subjects remember how much we have to settle between us our establishment our equipage our wardrobes all to be decided upon modelled and provided get ready dearest the sooner we get through our business the earlier we shall be at clifton and who knows which part of our dramatis personae may arrive there first a happy smile dimpled the cheek of agnes as she ran out of the room to equip herself and in a few minutes the two ladies were en route towards the city what makes you wear such very deep mourning my dear said miss compton fixing her eyes on the perennial black crape bonnet of her companion is it all for the worthy apothecary of silverton but that can't be either for now i think of it his charming widow had half the colours of the rainbow about her what does it mean agnes agnes looked out of the window to conceal a smile but recovering her composure answered i have never been out of mourning aunt since mr barnaby died there was a great deal of black not worn out and as it made no difference to me oh monstrous interrupted miss compton i see it all while she wantons about like a painted butterfly she has thrown her chrysalis case upon you my pretty agnes in the hope of making you look like a grub beside her is it not so oh no my aunt barnaby loves dress certainly and greatly dislikes black and so and so you are to wear it for her well agnes you shan't abuse her if you think it a sin god forbid but do not refuse to let me into a few of her ways 
did she ever ask you to put on her widow's cap my dear it might have saved the expense of nightcaps at least it was almost a cruelty in agnes to conceal the many characteristic traits of selfish littleness which she had witnessed in her widowed aunt from the caustic contemplation of her spinster one for she would have enjoyed it but it was so much in her nature to do so that dearly as she would have loved to amuse aunt betsy and give scope to her biting humour on any other theme she gave her no encouragement on this so by degrees all allusion to mrs barnaby dropped out of their discourse and if from time to time some little sample of her peculiarities peeped forth involuntarily in speaking of the past the well-schooled old lady learned to enjoy them in silence and certainly did not love her niece the less for the restraint thus put upon her considering how complete a novice our spinster practically was as to everything concerning the vast babylon called london she contrived to go where she wished and where she willed with wonderfully few blunders it was all managed between william and herself and agnes marvelled at the ease with which much seemingly important business was transacted the carriage was stopped before a very dusky-looking mansion at no great distance from the exchange within the dark passage of which william disappeared for some moments and then returning opened the carriage door and without uttering a word gave his arm to assist miss compton to descend i will not keep you waiting long my dear she said and without further explanation followed her confidential attendant into the house in about half an hour she returned accompanied by a bald-headed yellow-faced personage who somewhat to the surprise of agnes mounted the carriage after her and placed himself as bodkin between them to the bank was the word of command then given and in a moment they again stopped and agnes was once more left alone the interval during which she was thus left was this time considerably longer than the last and she had long been tired of watching the goers and comers all bearing however varied their physiognomy the same general stamp of busy anxious interest upon their brows before the active old lady and her bald-headed acquaintance reappeared the old gentleman handed her into the carriage and then took his leave amidst a multitude of obsequious bows and assurances that her commands should always be obeyed at the shortest notice etc 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 agnes said the old lady as soon as she had exchanged a few words with william as to where she next wished to go agnes i look to you to supply the place of my bees and my flowers and i do not much fear that i shall lament the exchange but you must not continue to be dight in this grim fashion it might be soothing to the feelings of mr barnaby's fond widow but to me it is very sad and disagreeable and so my dear here is wherewithal to change it during the whole of this speech miss compton had been employed in extracting a pocket-book of very masculine dimensions from her pocket and having at length succeeded she opened it drew forth two bank-notes of twenty-five pounds each and laid them in the lap of her niece agnes took them up and looked at them with unfeigned astonishment my dear aunt she said i am afraid you will find me a much younger and more ignorant sort of girl than you expected i shall no more know what to do with all this money than a child of five years old you forget aunt betsy that i have never had any money of my own since i was born and i really do not understand anything about it this is a trouble of a new and peculiar kind my dear and i really don't remember in all my reading to have found a precedent for it what shall we do agnes must you always wear this rusty-looking black gown because you don't know how to buy another why no aunt i don't think that will be necessary either but don't you think it would be better for you to buy what you like for me it won't be the first time aunt betsy 
i have not forgotten when my pretty trunk was opened by mrs wilmot or how very nicely everything was provided for the poor ragged little girl who never before as long as she could remember had possessed anything beside threadbare relics cobbled up to suit her dimensions it was you who thought of everything for me then and i am quite sure you love me a great deal better now and agnes placed the notes in miss compton's hands as she spoke i had prepared myself for a variety of new occupations replied the spinster but choosing the wardrobe of an elegant young lady was certainly not one of them however my dear i have no objection to show you that my studies have prepared me for this too nothing like novel reading depend upon it for teaching a solitary recluse the ways of the world you shall see how ably i will expend this money agnes but do not turn your head away and be thinking of something else all the time because it is absolutely necessary i do assure you that a young lady in possession of fifteen hundred a year should know how to buy herself a new bonnet and gown the value of miss compton's literary researches was by no means lowered in the estimation of agnes by the results of the three hours which followed for though there were moments in which her thoughts would spring away in spite of all she could do to prevent it from discussions on silks and satins to a meditation on her next interview with colonel hubert she was nevertheless sufficiently present to what was passing before her eyes to be aware that an old lady who has herself lived in a grogram gown for half a century may be capable of making a mighty pretty collection of finery for her niece provided that she has paid proper attention to fashionable novels and knows how to ask counsel as to what artiste to drive to from so intelligent an aide-de-camp as william in short by the united power of the money and the erudition she had hoarded miss compton contrived in the course of a fortnight to make as complete a change in the equipments of agnes as that performed of yore upon cinderella by her godmother nor was her own wardrobe neglected she had no intention that the rusticity of her spinster aunt should draw as many eyes on agnes as the gaudiness of her widowed one and proved herself as judicious in the selection of sable satins and velvets for herself as in the choice of all that was most becoming and elegant for the decoration of her lovely niece never certainly was an old lady more completely happy than the eccentric proud warm-hearted aunt betsy as with a well-filled purse she drove about london and found everything she deemed suitable to the proper setting forth of her heiress ready to her hand or her order she could not indeed have a carriage built for her she could not afford time for it but william the indefatigable william ransacked long acre from one end to the other till he had discovered an equipage as perfect in all its points as any order could have made it and on this the well-instructed miss compton whose heraldic lore was quite sufficient to enable her with perfect accuracy to blazon her own arms had her lozenge painted in miniature which being all that was required to render the neat equipage complete this portion of their preparation did not cause any delay to miss peters agnes wrote of all the unexpected good which had befallen her with much freer confidence than she could indulge in when addressing the relations of colonel hubert her friend mary already knew the name of miss compton of compton bassett and no fear of appearing boastful rendered it necessary for her to conceal how strangely the aspect of her worldly affairs was changed to her and her good-natured mother was confided the task of choosing lodgings for them and so ably was this performed that exactly in one fortnight and three days from the time colonel hubert had left agnes so miserably alone in mrs barnaby's melancholy lodgings in half moon street 
she was established in airy and handsome apartments in the mall of clifton with every comfort and elegance about her that thoughtful and ingenious affection could suggest to make the contrast more striking the happiness of this meeting with the kind friends who had conceived so warm an affection for her even when presented by mrs barnaby was in just proportion to the hopeless sadness with which she had bid them farewell and the reception of her munificent aunt among them with the cordial good understanding which mutually ensued did all that fate and fortune could do to atone for the suffering endured since they had parted End of chapter eight.